Radio. Hello and welcome to this Lumen Verum Apologetics Lecture by Father Pat Keenan on the topic, Jesus, the God of Compassion and Healing. This July 2007 recording comes from one of Lumen Verum's Friday Evening Apologetics Lectures at St. Michael the Archangel Parish in Belfield. Father Pat Keenan is a Redemptorist priest from Sydney. Thank you, thank you. <clears throat> and uh, maybe to begin with these words of the Lord, I'm with you always till the end of time. And uh, those words, as you know, are at the end of St. Matthew's Gospel. And um, the Jesus is here with us right now. We're here, that's obvious. Uh, not so obvious that he's here, but he's here with us. And it's the living Jesus and the loving Jesus and the giving and the doing active Jesus who's here with us right now. And every moment we're here uh, with him and for him, of course, we are absorbing more of his healing spirit. Uh, a lot of qualities to his spirit and one of them is healing. So, Lord Jesus, yes, we welcome you here. And we thank you that you helped us to be here tonight. We made our own arrangements, of course, but uh, Lord, you uh, helped us so arrange. And, and so decide and so act that we're here tonight. And um, of course, and it's great that we had the uh, close connection of Our Lady uh, with the Blessed Trinity, uh, with the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit in our opening prayer. And um, it's good to recall, I love recalling the fact that that little simple sentence in the Hail Mary, the Lord is with you, um, that um, that's the Trinity is with Mary. It's out of the Hail Mary, but out of the Bible. And um, and just that, that Our Lady is with the Blessed Trinity, and the Blessed Trinity is with Our Lady. And um, of course, God, the Trinity, is without her, but is with us through her. And He could have chosen a thousand other ways of doing it, but in fact, has decided uh, to be with us through Our Lady. And so um, the Hail Mary is a prayer. It's not just a Mary prayer, but a Trinity prayer, and that's why it's so powerful. But accepting that uh, uh, there's a healing going on with us right now, that we are in the presence of the healing Jesus. Uh, if we were in the church with the tabernacle and the Eucharistic presence, well, that would be a, a still greater, a still greater presence, of course and uh, still greater healing. But in some ways, I, I think that um, even here, it's a Eucharistic presence that uh, guides us, that uh, influences us. I've been a bit scared about this, actually. Um, and, and that's a very good thing, to be frightened of uh, talking, because as I talk so much, and maybe sometimes my weakness is I'm not frightened of talking. But tonight, uh, all day I've been Oh, unhappy about what I'm going to or thinking about saying. And as a result of that, I've been asking all sorts of people, like every redemptorist I came across in Cogra today, I said, hey, I'm in trouble tonight, and would you please pray for me? Did I say something that helps people? And uh, gladly, of course, they decided, yes, they'll back me with prayer. And if anyone else that I spoke to today, I asked them, please pray, pray uh, that... Uh, the Lord will help me, but help each of us here tonight. And um, so I, I suppose, while there's a certain amount of fear, and I usually speak to people about fear and say, well, if you're frightened of something, frightened of the present or frightened of the future, um, that um, the Lord would love each of us uh, to have a little mantra prayer, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, I'm with you. <clears throat> and so I've been trying to practice when I preach. Uh, today, like frequently enough, uh, saying, uh, quoting the Lord is saying to me and to you, don't be afraid, I'm with you. And sometimes I say to people, when fear is very strong, and that feeling of fear is very strong, and the feeling of the presence of Jesus not so strong, then to say to him, Lord Jesus, yes, I believe you are here. I don't necessarily feel that you are here. I do feel my fear, though. But I'm trusting you that you and I will get through this, whatever this stage is, the next stage of fear, we'll get through it really well. 
It's important, I think, to trust big rather than to trust in a small way, like to trust the Lord to do some petty little thing about the present and the future and in a petty little way reduce our fear. It's really not letting the great, great God uh, into us to help us with our fear or whatever the problem might be. So vital to, with regard to all our futures, uh, our future pain and our future death, that we say now to the great Jesus, and really mean it consciously and deliberately, Lord Jesus, uh, I believe you are with me, and you're powerfully with me, you are lovingly with me, and you'll get me through this next stage of life and of living, including death. You'll get, get me through it really well. That's something I think of the kind of attitude to have. Uh, older ones, amongst us possibly, uh, were brought up to pray for a happy death. Uh, I, that's more my way of approaching that now is to ask Jesus, hey, uh, bless me happily, you know, with a happy life as well as a happy death. <clears throat> but to get us through the tough stuff really well, um, that's what Jesus wants to do and uh, to heal us of our fear. Uh, you see, if an ordinary mortal says, you don't be afraid when you're afraid, um, that's uh, it's going to annoy you because it doesn't accept you where you're at. You're feeling frightened and you're not being, that, that feeling is not being respected in a way. It's not being recognized as real. Uh, and, uh, but when we quote Jesus saying, don't be afraid, I am with you, uh, in those very words of the Bible, there's power, a secret power to reduce fear. And uh, so I've been trying to work on that. Uh, I like, as everybody knows, I like to, uh, even though, yes, the main emphasis say is on healing and the compassion of Jesus in healing, suffering with us uh, when we're suffering, and we're suffering with him too when we're suffering, um, I want again to mention the fact uh, that he is a, a God of joy and the Blessed Trinity are a trinity of joy. Um, and one of my favourite texts, uh, uh, did I have it here? Maybe I haven't got it here. One of my favourite texts is that, um, where did I leave my bag? Oh, there it is. And one of my favourite texts, thanks, Albert, is, 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 the joy of the Lord is my strength. You see, that's out of the Psalms, and that's emphasizing the happiness of God. And um, in a world of tragedy and a world of suffering and where many people have a heavy cross to carry, it's easy enough for us to forget that our God is a God of a tremendous joy. And one of, again, another favorite psalm of mine is, you will show me the path of life, the fullness of joy in your presence at your right hand happens forever. You will show me the path of life, the fullness of joy in your presence. And so if, if we haven't got a joyful trinity, it's impossible to have any, for us to have any fullness of joy uh, in the presence of the trinity. But no, he said the trinity, they're a happy trio. A dancing and celebrating and merrymaking God is the real God we're dealing with. And God wants to be more and more part of our lives to heal us of our sadness as well as uh, and other healings that he wants to work amongst us, and to uh, replace uh, sadness with gladness, sadness with joy. And uh, I really love the fact that Pope Benedict, uh, quite frequently, quite frequently, in, uh, and he's only been a Pope for, say, two years, or is, is this his third year, I think, maybe, uh, he so frequently refers to joy, the joy of God, and the joy of being followers of Jesus, that if we're really following him properly, we're open to his joy. Um, and uh, for example, he said to young people recently enough, I hope you will increasingly discover the joy of following Jesus and of becoming his friends. It is the joy of Peter and the other apostles of the saints of all the ages and this, you see, Jesus has given them joy. The joy is also what impelled me to write the book, Jesus of Nazareth. And I'm glad that when I was here a week or so ago, uh, in Father's Place, that uh, I read the book. Uh, he had his library, and uh, I read the book, about 400 pages of it, uh, Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, but isn't it interesting, you see, the Pope is saying that 
It is the joy, it's this joy that's impelled me to write the book. And, and if we've got a different attitude to, to Jesus, as a, and of course, you see, the gospel is understandable if almost without realizing it, we ourselves have stressed the sorrowing of Jesus, the suffering of Jesus, and the crucifixion, because the gospels themselves spend a long time, a lot of time on that. Uh, but the result of that is that we can forget altogether about the fact that it's only when Jesus becomes part of the human condition, then there's suffering for him. Uh, before he became one of us in the womb of Mary to start off with, um, with the Father and the Holy Spirit, there's a tremendous joy. There's no suffering in the Trinity. It's only when uh, the God-man becomes human and um, takes on our condition, our circumstances, then of course he's in real trouble. Uh, and you see, it is important though that we realise before that, such a Jesus of joy. And after that, in his ascension into heaven, he's returning to the fullness of the joy of the Blessed Trinity. Uh, and I think it's important for us to realise, even when he's suffering, he's a person of joy. Um, the Pope recently enough said, the kind of, and I think he said this at Easter time, the kind of joy that the Lord wants to give us is a joy that doesn't fear pain. A joy that doesn't fear suffering. A joy that doesn't fear death. Uh, you see, if it's uh, if, if pain gets rid of our joy, and, and death eventually gets rid of our joy, then somehow or other it's a very shallow kind of joy, and the Pope is saying it's an entirely different kind of joy the Lord wants to give us. It's a joy uh, that doesn't fear pain, doesn't fear death. So it's a tremendous gift, um, and to heal us of our, of, uh, you know, our supposing we're suffering a lot, and uh, natural enough we find it hard to, how on earth can I have joy and be suffering a lot? Well, that's uh, yeah, something of a miracle involved. But those two things can go together. If Jesus is really leading to our lives, those two things can go together. Uh, I can't help but think of the disciples. Um, they, they were flogged. They were scourged because they spoke about Jesus. And they left the council chambers and they were warned by the authorities, don't talk about him anymore. Uh, because if you do, uh, well, well, you'll be crucified, they were virtually saying. But they left the council chambers, the Acts of the Apostles says, rejoicing that they've been accounted worthy to suffer something uh, for Jesus Christ. So in those apostles, you see, there was that combination of suffering, being scourged, um, and, or the, the risk of more scourging, and maybe being crucified, uh, along with that, and that, uh, that didn't stop them from being, you know, joyful followers of Jesus Christ. So um, that's one of the healings that Jesus is in the process now of working in each of us. But if there's a too great a sadness or seriousness in us, even a serious following of Jesus Christ, uh, that uh, he makes, uh, that our Lord gives us the grace of a very genuine joy and inner deep peace and contentment. That's what he wants to do. And as you realize, when somebody approaches you about God, maybe seriously, you know, asking some questions about God, and you answer, but you can answer so seriously, they decide, hey, I'm not interested in that kind of God. Or, if you can, uh, if you can answer with, a, with some humor, then, you know, that, that, uh, that, and especially our age, that's such a, you know, entertainment is such a God in our culture, that uh, somehow or other we need to be able to defend our faith and explain Catholic positions, but with a sense of humor. Even, you know, somebody might say, well, what a fool you are. I mean, here you are, supposing, you know, none of you go to Mass every day. Um, and uh, what a fool you are. I mean, you're a fool going to Mass on Sunday or the weekends, but how foolish to be going to Mass during the week, daily maybe. What fools you are. Well, sometimes the best response to that is this kind of response. Yes, I am crazy, but it's fun. <laughs> like accepting that a great dedication to Jesus Christ only means real fun. I mean, a deep joy. That's what I'm talking about. So, um, uh, and I suppose, I, may I tell a couple of, well, it's sort of, I'm not sure that they're jokes. I've used these a couple of times on my confres cobra in the last day or two, a good friend, 
A good friend is one who says you're a good egg, though you're a bit cracked. <laughs> Isn't that flattering? <laughs> but there's a certain amount of truth, we're all a bit crazy. Um, and a total sanity will be ours in heaven. So to accept that, yeah, we are a bit. And it's good if we can laugh at ourselves, maybe even laugh at ourselves more than laughing at others. Uh, Bob Hope, a little bit of wit from Bob Hope, just as a reminder of the humour of God and the joy of the Lord, and uh, that this is one of the kinds of healings that Jesus wants to bring about in us tonight, as we hear in his presence, and wanting his presence uh, and wanting him to take over in us, uh, the power of the Holy Spirit that is gently coming upon us right now. Uh, we're inviting this power, gentle power, into us in these moments right here. Don't listen to me much at all. Try and keep concentrating on inviting uh, the, the power, the gentle power of the Holy Spirit in. But Bob Hope, uh, of course, he, was, he, he lived to over 100, didn't he? Not much over 100. And, um, and he was received into the Catholic Church. Uh, not long before he died, and I think he had mass in his uh, sick room uh, a number of times. And uh, but anyway, somebody said, um, "Now that you're so old, how do you feel?" And he said, "Well, before noon, before midday, I don't feel anything, <laughs> and after that, oh, I need a rest." <laughs> It's just a little touch of humour. And then another little bit of humour from Bob Hope. Uh, you probably know it, that you know you're getting old. You know you're really getting old, like me. You know you're really getting old when the candles cost more than the cake. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I suppose I've been hesitating about today, and it's made this, uh, like, good painful, I mean, I'm delighted to be here, and thanks, Arlette, for the invitation. And delighted to be, I'm always delighted at a shot. Um, hopefully, not hurting anybody with the shot, but um, helping. Um, but, uh, and so what I was moved through the day to do, and I brought some of these things along with me, is to read some of the stories. See, not everybody, of course, can write their story. Uh, about, say, how God has come into their lives in a mission. But every now and then I get something that uh, uh, is a help, I think, to others. So I'm going to share some of these anyway uh, with you. And that's, I suppose, and of course, it's, um, some of these will refer to me, which is a it's pretty good, you know, we didn't have Jesus visibly giving missions instead of uh, the priest with his weaknesses and blindness and everything like that. Um, and so I suppose what's important is for me to realise, as I quote some of these people, to realise that um, I'm nothing without the Creator. Moment by moment creating each of us, otherwise we're left into nothing. So that kind of humbles a person a bit to reflect on that a little. I'm nothing without the Creator, and I'm sin without the Redeemer. Either forgiving me my sins or, or um, preventing me from sinning, like helping the circumstance to be such that uh, I'm not tempted so strongly that I sin. So here's, uh, this is a woman named Anna and something that she said about a mission. And um, I, I really am enthusiastic about missions, as anyone who's come to any mission that I've given knows. And the reason I believe is that... Um, there is more grace, I don't know that there's more grace flowing from God to us, I don't think there is, but there's more grace being received. There's more grace being received, the very fact that people spend more time with God, they are receiving more grace, and there are more felt results more quickly as, as a result. Um, so this, Anna is saying, before attending the mission, um, I felt distant from God because I had been overwhelmed with many problems. I felt that I was drifting away from God. And that can be the feeling of a lot of people. As much as I tried, I couldn't find my way back. Back to God, which left me searching and leaving me with an awkward feeling that there was something missing in my life, but I could not pinpoint what it was. The mission has helped me immensely. Each day, I've attentively listened uh, to the talks, and when I heard the first one, 
I sort of sensed that God was talking to me. And um, I'd like you to be convinced right now that fortunately it's not just me talking to you right now, or me doing anything at all for you right now, but the great Jesus is doing things for you. And, and think big about that. Uh, St. Paul has that wonderful expression um, that uh, the, the power of God is at work doing infinitely more than we can ask for or imagine. So, you see, every time, even the poorest prayer, believing infinitely more is happening than we can ask for or imagine. I accept the difficulty of it being a, usually a very secret happening. And that's the temptation. If it's a secret happening, we're tempted to believe nothing's happening at all. I pray and pray and pray and God's doing nothing. See, Satan, I think, is very actively at work to try and have us think along those lines when we pray and we don't feel any immediate result. Believe there is an immediate result because this, this is the greatest love of all, this God. And he just is, is uh, you know, he's welcoming, you know, he's uh, urgently desiring us to welcome him into, his, into our lives uh, and to welcome him rather than even any creature. I welcome the Creator, and the Creator will bring everything else with Him. But sometimes we focus very, and even in our prayers, on the creature gift that we need, <coughs> and that we can miss that, and certainly miss the Creator. But if we emphasize asking the Creator more and more into our lives, the Trinity, more and more, and the Spirit of the Father and the Son, into our lives, then everything else will follow. We're seeking first the Kingdom of God, that is the King, Jesus, not just the territory, kingdom, but we're seeking first the kingdom of God, everything else will be added unto us. Everything else will fall into place. Um, I'm spoiling Anna. What did she say then? But God talking to her, she sensed somehow or other the message was, God was had a message for her. Um, and I tried very hard to listen to every word as I knew they were not your words, but God's. It's great to see she got that grace. That's a healing grace. I mean, you can come and listen to a priest and you think, oh, well, you know, he's uh, just human stuff. It's just uh, his human reflection on the gospel, say. And uh, there's nothing at all divine about it. But it's wonderful if, um, if we can bring that kind of faith. Yes, it may be very ordinary talking about the priest about God, uh, but the great Jesus who loves you terrifically is doing something extraordinary to you in the moments that you are listening. Um, so that the actual preaching time is a time of healing and, and certainly grace and help from the Lord. Uh, after a few days my eyes were open and I could see what was wrong and why I felt this void in my life. I decided to be open to God's will and spend quiet time with him in prayer. And uh, given you know the rush of our lives, and we've got so many things to do, it's quite hard to find time and make time with God in prayer. Of course, some will say, "Well, I'm praying all the time," which is wonderful. Um, as I'm going places, I'm doing things, I'm talking to God, and that's wonderful praying. And I don't in any way want to demerit that, but. Um, it is good, I think, in order that that sort of on-the-run type of prayer has more value to it and more faith in it, faith in God as you do it, that he, yes, he's listening and he's doing marvellous things to you as on-the-run you pray. I think for that faith to be quite strong and on-the-run prayer, it is important to spend time just being silent and still with him. And you know the Bible says, be still and know that I am God. Somewhere under the in stillness itself, there's a divine touch. And I, I think in silence too. And our world is so full of so many sounds. Some of them are beautiful and wonderful, and some for me are just horrible and terrible. Um, but um, and I think actually that that uh, the great Jesus is actually blessing us in a horror sound as well as a beautiful sound that we appreciate and love that kind of thing. 
uh, he's involved all the time. But I do think, too, he wants us, and I think it's part of the business of stillness, uh, to give some time to silence. And you have a mystic like Meister Eckhart, a Dominican, I think, uh, you know, hundreds of years ago, saying that there's nothing so much like God as silence. And that's one of the great achievements of your church. That you're all endeavouring to uh, be as quiet as possible in there. And the lighting and everything else, plus the silence, is sort of has one more easily feeling I'm entering the house of God. I mean, the whole of the universe is God's house, but there's something extra special about the ch your church and every church where the Blessed Sacrament is, and, uh, where this site says, I know you're cultivating that, which is wonderful. Now, back to Anna. What does she say here? Um, you help me to understand the great, grand importance of prayer, which is the only way to communicate with God and being open to do His will. Uh, some people say, well, I've got a thousand things to do, and, and as Christian to do things, and do things for others particularly. Um, and so one can sort of say, but prayer, well, you know, I don't, I'm not, I don't pray very much, and, uh, but I'm doing all those Christian things for others. Um, and that's certainly one of the great directions that Jesus gives us for happiness, doing things for others. Um, when we do things for others, we are open to receive things from him. We can do things for others that don't even thank, thank us at times. And they hurt us back. And that's the repayment. But he's always blessing us back for anything we do selflessly for another. But it's important to believe that, to receive the reward that he wants you to have uh, in being selfless. But, and that's one great direction for happiness and for heaven, um, being selfless. But the other definitely is to pray. And that's the first and the greatest commandment. You know when our Lord says, love the Lord your God with your whole mind, heart, strength, will, that's describing a terrific relationship with God and at the heart of any terrific relationship is communication when it's a matter of God, the communication we call prayer. And so the first and the greatest commandment is prayer. But prayer is not everything in Christian living and loving, but we know it's the key to everything else. So, uh, so you see, things are starting to happen for this woman because, um, and wanting to, you see, accepting part of the healing that goes on with each of us is, I want to do God's will much more because I believe God's will is wiser than my will. For my, for my temporal, material concerns, my spiritual needs, and also for time and in eternity. And God's will is so much wiser and more loving. I want to know more about God's will. I want to do God's will more and more. And this is, you see, that's a healing when we're being healed from, say, not having so much devotion to our own will and being more devoted to the Lord's will. That's a great healing that uh, was taking place in this woman. You help me understand that God never leaves us uh, but it is we who leave God. That's an important thing to, you know, when you feel deserted by God, feelings actually often are telling us lies. And that's one of them. We are never deserted by God. We may desert God, but He never deserts us. I think even in our deserting Him, He's still close to us waiting to, to forgive us, to give us another chance to help us into the future. Um, <clears throat> so, but feeling, feeling is an important part of us, but uh, sometimes our feelings are definitely telling us a lie, certainly not telling us the full truth, and the full truth is this tremendous lover is close to you all the time. When you feel his closeness, he's with you, and when you don't, I think he's especially with you then, strangely enough. Back to Anna, what she's saying. You help me understand that God never right? It is, is we turn away from Him when things are tough and when we fall into sin. Yes, 
You see, sometimes I, I think it's probably your experience that when things are tough, um, but sometimes we're kind of, uh, that's a big help to pray. But then sometimes when things are really tough, you know, we feel, oh, God's punishing me, he doesn't want me, and this is all a sign of it, so I won't, I won't pray. But no, let's, let's never, never, never stop praying. Uh, you've helped me to understand to embrace all my sufferings, spiritual, physical, and emotional. I was not aware of how many graces I have received through my sufferings. I was not aware. You've helped me understand how much the devil tries to interfere with our lives and how much he wants us to disobey God by tempting us to sin so that he can claim our lives. Virtue is obedience to the Lord and the Lord is nourishing you with his marvellous spirit. He's fathering you and making you a greater son and daughter of God. But, but old Satan, if there's, if there's real sin, it's obedience to Satan and he's doing some fathering. And this idea that like God fathers and Satan also can father, uh, this is not my idea, but it's out of the first letter of John. Uh, and that's the, something of the full horror of sin. It's not just rejecting God, but it's obedience. You see, we rebel against God and we obey Satan in sin. And in that surrender of obedience and openness and that surrender, we're open to receiving and we're more and more venerable uh, to receiving something satanic, a cursing of us uh, through sin, rather than being blessed by the Lord and through our virtue. So she was getting to understand this a bit more. A lay person doesn't realise the seriousness of sin. Well, I mean, we priests don't realise the seriousness of sin fully. Even venial sins, you see, there's a certain seriousness about venial sins. It's giving, giving the old devil a bit of an advantage, the small sins that we can make light of. Um, and, uh, Father, I thank you with all my heart for pointing this out. Um, God is my first love and saviour is my way to eternal happiness so anyway that's something from Anna uh, which is um, you know I, I think we can all identify with some of that um, now how are we going for time every time to knock off is it can you people do you want to stand? How you how you bottom muscles? Are they all right? <laughs> if you need to stand, if you need to stand and just make sure your other muscles are working, because I'm okay. I'm sho shoving around here, and you might even need to run around the hall to get warm. Is it cold in here? There is. I'm not cold, but is you okay? You're freezing. Are you God's chosen people or God's frozen people? <laughs> now the next quote that I have here is uh, from a, a woman who was once a Buddhist from Cambodia. Any, any Cambodians here tonight? No. And, uh, and this dear woman, I mean, and she's a, is she a dynamic Christian and Catholic? Um, she has a deli. And uh, when I'm giving a mission, I've given a mission in this particular place uh, several times. And, uh, and so I always go to the deli and meet her name is Seek, S-E-A-K, her first name. I can't pronounce it. Well, Seek, C-H-U-O-O, no, C-H-U-O-N-G, uh, Chong or something else. Anyway, Seek, uh, but she's such a dynamic person. And, and of course, she's a great businesswoman as well as being a, spirit, a very spiritual woman. Uh, she had a delicate essence, her and her husband run this. She speaks of the yeah, 6.30 a.m. start. Anyone running a delicate essence here, you know all about this stuff. 6 a.m. 30 a.m. start, and it goes right through to 8 p.m., seven days a week. Wow, what what terrible lot of work to be done. They have two children. Anyway, she says, thank you very much for the teaching and the preaching. I'm very happy because God did answer my prayer. I asked my husband to look after my two children. So God answers through husband sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> to look after my two children. Um, and so I can, I can come and listen to the, the mission. And my husband and I are self-employed, right? And at the deli. Um, and now he, and now he has to look after the two children without, and he does without complaint. And that's a miracle. That is a healing. Uh, while I came to the church every night and morning. So it was a nine days mission and she was there every night and morning, this one time Buddhist. She tells a story, a little bit of it through here. 
Uh, I always say I love God. No, he always says, this is interesting, hubby, because uh, he's not a Catholic. Uh, he always says, I love God too much. <laughs> I mean, he's finding his wife married to God, not to him. <laughs> and, uh, yes. and, she's, and he says, you pray here and you pray there. How many times do you pray a day? And uh, it, this is broken English, you know what I mean? I'm trying to translate a bit as I go here. And I said to him, darling, I pray for you and the family and the whole world. If you don't like to pray, if you don't like to pray, it's up to you. But I, I choose to pray. I, I came from Cambodia. Now she tells a bit of a story. I converted convert from Buddhist to Roman Catholic three years ago with my two children. First, you stopped this. He didn't want this to happen. And everyone in our family was so upset I became a Catholic. And some of my friends think I'm crazy. See, it's okay if, it's actually to be expected if people think you're crazy, you God people. The fact is, of course, that the world that neglects God is the crazy world and the insane world. And you know the description of insanity. Insanity is um, being out of touch with reality. Like people who are out of touch with reality, the reality of this room, with this hall we're in. There's a certain insane streak about that. But the greatest insanity of all is to be out of touch with, with the greatest reality of all. That's the greatest insanity. So uh, keep being crazy uh, by being God people. <coughs> uh, my neighbor, my neighbor thinks I should stay as a Buddhist. <laughs> I follow the Bible. And in 18, 1982, she went to a Jehovah Witness church about for about five years, she said. And then I went to an Anglican church, so you tried a few of them, and Tao, T-A-O, uh, some of you people know exactly what that is, um, and they followed both Jesus and Buddha, so they mix them. <laughs> and she says, the people who follow tell me they have, don't quite follow this, but anyway, some have no religion, that makes sense. Um, and so she left, she left them after a while. I then tried the Orthodox church. But one day I prayed and asked God, please lead me, tell me where on earth you want me to go. And, and he brought me, she says, into the Catholic church. Um, so God must be Catholic. God, well, Catholics are bigger than they'd say God's a Catholic, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but as, anyway, a strange woman in the train, <laughs> I think she meant stranger, a stranger, a woman she didn't know, in the train, sat opposite me, and she asked me, do you believe in God? And I said, yes. Is it? And then she goes on with her little preach, because she is a, you know, she's that type of person, a truly extrovert, I suppose, to succeed in a deli, you have to be an extrovert. Uh, and so she's on about, uh, oh God, of course, God who makes all of things, trees, sky, earth, rain, heaven, and so she goes, uh, but the woman gave her two Mary medals, medals of Our Lady, for free. <laughs> and, and then she started to go to the Catholic Church, uh, and then this year at Easter time, oh, there she skips a bit, I think. Um, anyway, the one thing is that she took up the Bible just to learn English. It was the only English book available to her at one stage, and that's what led her to believe gradually in Jesus. Very interesting, isn't it, the way God works in our lives, different ways for different people. <coughs> anyway, the husband is really annoyed with her, because this year at Easter time, my children and I go to the church on Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, uh, and my, my husband is terribly upset. When I returned, he said to me, I let you go to church one day a week, now you go every day. <laughs> he can't stand this, this marriage to God. Um, and uh, yes, yeah, so he's really mad with her, very angry, she says. You take my children every day to the church? I mean, very angry. I said, it's Easter time. That's why I go extra. Then I went into the toilet, and this is good, and sat there and cried. <laughs> I mean, it's the only safe place to cry sometimes, isn't it? <laughs> and to pray. Like, I know one woman who, who uh, she's a secretary or lawyer or something, and she said, oh, the only space I get, you know, a bit of time on myself is the toilet. That's where I go. 
say the uh, chaplain at 3 p.m. Uh, anyway, is this all right? Yes. It's God at work and God the healer helping. Uh, she says, I, I love God very much and also love my family and my husband. Um, anyway, I cleaned my tear. Then she said, I cleaned my tear off, then came to serve a customer. After that, I looked on the candy counter and I saw the key, a key in a bundle. And on the key ring, the words were St. Benedict. So it was a St. Benedict's medal. And actually, that was the next sort of stage getting a St. Benedict's medal, getting a book on St. Benedict, learning all about him. And, uh, and then she was told, I don't understand this about St. Benedict. So I asked my little boy to draw a picture of St. Benedict. And I write the word. I think it was, when the lady came back to get her key ring and uh, St. Benedict medal, and then she asked for an explanation. And, uh, but then, and she said, uh, St. Benedict now is one of my great saints and he protects us from evil. God is so wonderful. He sent this saint to protect my family. And I went and bought the saint book, etc. Yeah. And so I can never forget what God has done in my life. I wish to, each time I... And this is all over the place. Um, three. I haven't got it typed out properly, of course. My family and my children and their children. She wants, of course, the family to be very much for God. So would you please pray? And each of us can pray to seek and uh, her husband and the children and children, children over the years. I remember praying for you. She promised to pray for me. Great. And um, and it was 12.15 when she wrote this a.m. And now I go to sleep so I can go to Mass at 6 a.m. for the mission. <laughs> oh, dear. What a woman. Um, but it, she's certainly the most likable, wonderful person. She probably... Uh, uh, like she probably almost as well as giving candy to people like selling or whatever in the deli she's probably preaching at every <laughs> every moment and I don't know how many customers she turns away but probably they all see <laughs> sort of pretty goodness in her and uh, are attracted and of course it's not as though she's a sad kind of follower of Jesus she's full of tremendous joy so she's a, she's a bit contagious um, yeah I came from Buddha land. I mean, someone knocked on my door and asked me to learn the Bible. Oh, that's, that's right, she's telling the story of the Bible here. I won't repeat that. Um, but uh, here's how God drew her in. So, God, I thank him with all my soul and heart. And then she says, I remember one time I prayed for half an hour, nothing happened. <laughs> well, we all know that experience, don't we? <laughs> But I want to insist though, uh, nothing feels, you feel nothing happening, but things are happening. As soon as you, if you plug, electrical <laughs> plug into the wall, and it, things are happening straight away. And when we pray, things are happening straight away. We're plugging in. We're connecting with God. Powerful things, are, um, unless we have not St. Paul's mentality, St. Paul saying, he's doing infinitely more than we can ask for or imagine. When we plug in the slightest bit of prayer, something powerful is happening straight away but we don't feel it. And she was saying, anyway, I prayed for half an hour, nothing happened. Then I continued one hour, two hours, three hours. <laughs> uh, after that, what happened now? Let me see. <laughs> what happened after that? Uh, she said, I, I had a breakthrough. I had a breakthrough. I was so happy. I felt like I fly like the birds in the air. <laughs> uh, so she had some kind of experience of God, you see, but was the fourth hour. And because we're dealing with spirit, God's spirit touching your spirit, it takes more time for our feelings that are material and physical to pick up the powerful connection. Oh, and now she's made a promise here that I'll never leave my children in bed by themselves again. What happened was husband didn't look after the children because he had to go to work. And so she'd go to a 6 a.m. mass every morning and leave the children to God and the angels. But she reckons that she better not do that ever again. <laughs> anyway, there's something of the, the dear wonderful woman who has become a Christian and a Catholic. Um, can you take... There are two more I'd like to share, but I'm not sure we've got the time.
Thanks to you. Have we got, how are you going? You want to stand now? We're not allowed to stand. You, you, uh, your muscles might need a bit of exercising. I'll leave it to you. If you're dying on me, it's your fault. <laughs> this is from a young fellow, Ed, up in North Queensland. Not so long ago, in fact, about a week before the mission, I was a terrible sinner. I was morally and spiritually bankrupt. I hadn't been to church for months, but worse than that, I'd lost my faith in God. To make matters worse, I'd just broken up with my partner, and the circumstances which led to this breakup were absolutely horrendous. I found myself caught up with the corruption of this modern society. I didn't know why marriage was important. I was living and having sexual relationships with many women. I didn't even respect them as gifts from God. I thought and treated them as objects for my own sexual needs. I surrounded myself with sick people. Yes, if we keep good company, and that's a help to our own increasing goodness. If we keep bad company, gradually uh, we'll absorb some of that rubbish. And all they were interested in was the devil's drink and drugs. Pretty soon I found myself starting to think along the same lines as they. Why don't get drunk? I even started thinking that everybody was doing it. Sadly, I even forgot why it was wrong uh, to abuse your own body. In the madness that was my life at the time, I did very wrong and sinful things in relation to my former partner. This course of action ran me into trouble with the law. I was pretty worried about that, but it was God's law uh, that was troubling me most. My conscience was acting as a reminder of my wrongdoing and it was driving me to madness. Every day I kept dwelling on it, even at night there was no peace as it would continually pop up in my dreams. I tried to block it with alcohol, but that didn't work. The only way I could see out of my torment was suicide. I was sitting at my home in my misery one day, contemplating suicide. My head was in my hands and I wanted to end it all. I hadn't been to church for months, as I believed God had stopped listening to my prayers. I also felt I was cursed. It was then that God found me again. I heard a knock on the door, and it was an old sister, an old nun, Sister Coronella. She was looking for someone who had lived there previously. Isn't it interesting how God brought that nun after somebody else, but actually God had, had him in focus. Uh, as I spoke to her, she told me about the mission that was happening in the church. Until then, I didn't even know that there was a Catholic church in this area. I took this as a sign from God and decided to go. I, I have been I have been an altar boy at St. Bridges Church, um, Red Hill, in Brisbane, for approximately 14 years. After leaving home, I've been so I have been to so many different parishes in Australia, and never been to a mission. Even if there was one, I probably wouldn't have gone because I thought it would have been just religious stuff. But this time was different. I had to go for my own survival. I felt it a bit funny going at first, but once my ears started to hear the words of the preacher, it was easy to come along. I'd forgotten much of my Catholic faith and the reason behind it. I'd lost my faith in God, but listening, I once again became familiar with God. I have often been to Mass, but I have got more from the mission than any Mass I've been to my, my life. Somehow the mission rekindled my faith in God, and I'm eternally grateful uh, for, to the Lord for this, in the course of the mission. And so he came, you know, he came to confession, he came for some counselling, and the Lord using all of that uh, to his advantage. God works mysteriously, and I could immediately feel myself being healed and loved. The mission couldn't have come along at a better time for me, as I really needed to hear the word of God. So, and actually there was a mission in another parish not so far away, and he also went to that. So, um, uh, God started, started to become really attractive uh, to him, and a sense that God, yes, God's the answer, and God's doing worthwhile things for me. I must spend so much more time with this mighty God. Yes, a most beautiful God, and a most joyful God. But Satan will have us thinking otherwise and, uh, and sort of making sure that God is not attractive to us. This is the constant temptation. Um, 
I think that's mainly um, he was there was a talk on the man woman relationship and that gave him an entirely different idea of sexuality and God's plan for man and woman and marriage and, and what real love is because we realize in our kind of culture there's a whole lot of emphasis on sex but actually a whole lot of confusion about what real love is and, and if a man won't willingly suffer for his wife and um, there's no no um, no evidence much of real love. It's willing suffering is the key. And, uh, and boy for girl, man for woman. It's um, the willingness to suffer. And that's why I wear the crucifix. You see, some people say, for goodness sake, get rid of the crucifix because Jesus is risen. And of course, you'd be the first to believe he's risen. He's not dead anymore. But um, he, uh, out of love for us, he suffered unto death. And that crucifix is telling us that uh, the kind of love to which we're all called in the second great commandment is not necessarily a love unto death maybe some few are called to die for another person um, but all of us are called to sacrifice ourselves for the other willing sacrifice is the sign of love and we need a prayer life in order willingly and happily to sacrifice ourselves for others and a prayer life so that we realize even if the other person is not grateful at all for our love that Jesus is and is rewarding us all the time not just in heaven later now he's bringing more of heaven into our hearts and homes anyway that was a help to him he said I find it a little funny that a priest taught me how to love and respect a woman and I, I brought a friend along see there's there's another thing is if God is getting hold of us more really getting hold of us we, it's so good, we want to bring others to it. We want to bring others to this mighty God. But if somehow or other we're going through the motions, and it's possible to go through the motions of being Catholic, and somehow or other be closed to this Jesus, and closed to being penetrated and possessed by his marvellous, transforming and happy spirit. Anyway, I even brought a friend along to the talk about man-woman relationship. She's not a Catholic, but she was so impressed that she couldn't stop talking about it for a week after. I kid you not. Um, she even was contemplating becoming a Catholic. Anyway, I'll just leave those thoughts with you. There's no need to, to share more. But something quite marvellous happened to that young man. That's it, that's it is it? <laughs> was that its conclusion? No, that's just the early chime. <laughs> I, I have one more. Will I share one more? Yeah, yes. And that's it then. So. Pray, pray a lot that I stop quickly now. Is that okay? <laughs> None of this on and on and on. I didn't get to see you after the mission, she, this woman says. I just had to write and thank you uh, for being an instrument of the Holy Spirit. I hadn't just pulled the blind down on the window that would let the Holy Spirit shine through to me. I erected shutters and hammered them on tight. In other words, somehow or other, she managed to close the Holy Spirit powerfully out of her life. And five years ago, she says, Aaron, our eighth child, we can have a whole lot of sympathy and compassion for this woman because there's a terrible lot of suffering in what she's saying. Five years ago, Aaron, our eighth child, was born. She needed surgery in six days and again in 12 months for her kidneys and now only has one functioning kidney. By the time she was six months old, we knew something was wrong because she was still lying on the floor completely immobile like a newborn. When Erin was six months of age, my dear mother passed away suddenly. Two weeks after her death, we received the diagnosis of HPE, I don't know what that is, but I have to say, for Erin, a genetic condition. This was the start of the downhill decline in my faith. I was angry to thank God for allowing my mother to die when she did and after a lot of suffering I was very angry with God and she she said that my mother had led a humble loving life carrying her many crosses with no complaints and he took her away when I needed her most three years later Kieran was born so it's you know sad story to start with uh, I looked at him and knew he had the same syndrome as Aaron he was diagnosed in two weeks uh, he spent more time in hospital in the first six months than he did at home. By this stage, my only prayer was despair prayer. That's the temptation from Satan, you know, to, to have us.
God, you are not interested in me, you are you bless others powerfully, and they have all sorts of wonderful experiences of you, but no, me, you don't, and you're not interested in me. Despair and Satan is really trying uh, to have us sometimes pray a lot, but be despair prayer. In which case the Holy Spirit is not over you. We've got to have the confidence and the trust to be really open to receive the the sunshine of the Holy Spirit into the darkness of that dark room that each one of us is. Even though we're enlightened in various ways, compared to what would be in heaven, we're a dark, cold room, each of us. But anyway, back to this. Um, I would challenge God, what more do you want me to do? What more do you want to do to me? I don't think you can do any more to hurt me. We changed pediatricians when Kieran was born. He diagnosed Erin with a second condition, congenital something or other. And she'll have to have cortisone all her life. We saw another endocrinologist, I can't say the word, who found her pituitary is not functioning properly and discovered that these two genetic conditions have never been seen together before and treatment will be a stab in the dark. So all this terrible worry and by this point, my prayer was bordering on hate. And uh, you see, that's most understandable that a woman or anybody hates God after all that kind of stuff. It's an understandable feeling. It doesn't have to happen, but it's most understandable. And we have certain compassion for anybody who in those circumstances would hate. Hate God. But she's owning up to this. She said, I went to church because this is how she kept going to church. I went to church because I did not want my children to give up give up their faith, because I was losing mine. I was losing mine, but I didn't want my children to miss out. The genetist informed us that our other children would have a 50% chance of having a child that would have HPE, and our children was, were on the bottom end of the spectrum. Um, and so a child could be born with no brain and one eye in the center of their head. Isn't this terrible? When the mission was announced, I contemplated coming, but a week before it began, we saw another specialist and, and uh, with Erin, with and she was diagnosed with some nerve palsy, which can only be treated with surgery. That was the finishing touch for me. God truly must have abandoned us. I mean, we could all can't help but have compassion uh, for this woman with all this endless list of trouble. My two daughters asked me to take them to the mission. She, I think, wasn't going to go, but the two daughters asked her, what can I say that I despise the God that could do this to me? I have raised them to be Catholic, so I, I come never expect, I came never expecting my opinion of God to change. I feel a warmth that I've not felt for so long. So a change came. Jesus, Jesus did bring about a mighty change in this woman. Um, and uh, a warmth came that I have not felt for so long. Confession has lifted the guilt I felt for my anger. See, it, I think it's important for us to realize that, I mean, if we're a brick wall, we don't get angry. We're not brick walls, so we get angry. And, so, and anger on itself isn't a sin. But it's what we say we do in our anger. That can be quite sinful. So it's important to accept that uh, if you're normal uh, and you're really hurt and there's terrible pain, it produces anger. And that's completely natural and it's not a sin. And so that, was, that helped you a lot to feel, you know, that, that anger of itself isn't sin. That lifted a burden off her. And, and, uh, and I no longer see a sad and difficult past. Isn't that terrific? I mean, there's a terrific healing miracles happen in her that even all the terrible things that happen she's no longer seeing it as a sad and difficult past or a frightening unpredictable future um, I just have now oh yes and you know uh, I do concentrate quite a bit on uh, like if you've got a big cross in your life try and break it into a little sliver of the present moment but now the Hail Mary is a golden little word uh, it's all we have actually uh, the past is gone for all of us. The future, we're not sure how long we'll have. We have now, we have now, for sure. Break a big cross into a little splinter of the present moment. And believe there's gain in the pain. The resurrection of Jesus has transformed our pain and will transform our death.
But we've got to believe in this transformation to receive it. Believe this gaining of pain one moment at a time, be willing about it one moment at a time instead of unwilling, and thank the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Um, not for the pain and the, all the terrible things that can happen, and the injustice and everything else, but thank you for the graces, the resurrection graces that are flowing. That's what you're thanking for. Secretly, secretly happening, yes, but gradually you feel, as she felt, gradually a warmth. And, but you concentrate on the now. Thank you, again, she says, for showing me how to pull down the shutters and pull up the blind to let the Holy Spirit in. The sunshine of the Holy Spirit and the joy of the Holy Spirit of Jesus and the Father. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for your tremendous patience. You have been listening to a Lumen Verum Apologetics Lecture by Father Pat Keenan. For more Lumen Verum Apologetics Lectures, visit cradio.org.au.